0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Wonderful to be with you today. Happy uh, Super Bowl Sunday, too. Not for some of us. I was telling a uh, couple of my buddies this morning, I'm a Cowboy fan. If you've been following us in this series, waiting for the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl, this, too, is Hebel, a chasing after the wind. That's why I really... Uh, you know, they're, they're spending seven million dollars for every 30 seconds on the ads today and I'm thinking uh, between that and it being the biggest one of the biggest party days of the year for us it's actually fitting that Super Bowl Sunday falls on the day we're reading the passage we're reading today It actually actually fits as you'll see we've been studying this book we're, we're, we're looking at what it means to pursue the joy of God in a world that is like ours, sometimes it's great, but sometimes it's frustrating, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's confusing and we don't understand it. What does it look like to pursue enduring joy? And we've come to, to me, I think one of the, the most important chapters in the whole book, if not the most important chapter to me, my reading of it, is the one we just started last week in chapter 3, where God talks about this longing that he's given human hearts. Um, but then we're going to pick it up halfway through chapter 3 today. And we'll do a little piece in chapter five as well and, and what I, we're going to look at today has um, two examples here's way I think about it it's two examples of six times in the book the teacher is what he calls himself will give the wisdom that we're going to about to read in a moment six times think about it this way there's twelve chapters so if we're envisioning reading and listening in on a journal uh, that incredibly wise and spirit-filled guy is giving us experience in life speaking wisdom to the next generation 12 chapters six times like every other journal entry will have something about the wisdom we've got here so i want to hear that if you got your bibles or devices we're going to read ecclesiastes chapter 3 again we're going to read a couple verses skip to the end of 3 and then skip to the end of chapter 5 and then we'll come back and pick up those other things would you please stand out of respect for god as we read Last week we did the first part where it's talking about a time and all time is in God's hands and the longing. And then we get some positive wisdom here on what he gives us. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 12. The words are on the screen for what we say together after as words of gratitude. It's the word of the Lord. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be joyful and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink. And find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. And nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is, has already been. And what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. Skip down to verse 22 of that same chapter. So I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. Or who can bring them to see what will happen after them and if you skip to the end of chapter 5 verse 18 this is what i've observed to be good that it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life god has given them for this is their lot moreover when god gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil this is a gift of god they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever encountered either someone you know or someone that you know about? And surprisingly, they're acting out of character for what you know about them. Have you had this before? Now, sometimes this is actually a practice in the world of acting. In film and on TV shows, they call it playing against type. So there'll be someone that plays particular kinds of roles most of their career, and all of a sudden, they may surprise you and trick you almost by having them have an opposite kind of role. Example of this, Denzel Washington is always usually, a heroic character. He's doing selfless work, saving the world, something in some way. And some years ago, they had a movie called Training Day. It's a brutal movie. But he plays a police officer who is more corrupt than the criminals that he is arresting. He plays totally against type, and that's part of what surprises you and shocks you as you get into the movie. Or more recently, Tom Hanks, who's the beloved, right, uh, actor. He's won all these awards, does all these great things. He's heroic. He's Woody from Toy Story and all that. Now he plays this greasy, slimy character in the most recent Elvis film where he's the manager for Elvis. Goes against character. Sometimes in the middle, it's just, it's not playing a role, it's just everyday life and we'll see actors and actresses, even presidents like slumming it at a McDonald's or something and it, it just seems so out of character for what we expect of them. But honestly, that one, it's real life. It's just what they're doing, but it's not what we're used to. Most recent example of this is I noticed, uh, I was watching a a new documentary that was out um, about Jonathan Rumi. He is the guy who plays Jesus in the show The Chosen. Uh, People have different opinions. My personal opinion doesn't mean anything, but to me it's the best Bible depiction um, I've ever seen on on a show or movie. It's phenomenal. And I'm used to seeing him this way and hearing him, As you hear him on the show, I'm used to this because, you know, he'll practice this accent that's supposed to be this Palestinian accent. That's the way I'm I'm used to hear him for now three seasons. I'm used to seeing him look like this, dressed in clothing that is, you know, depicting 2,000 years ago clothing. And most importantly, I'm used to him portraying the most important man who ever lived, doing the most important work that's ever happened on the face of the earth. And then I start watching this documentary, and it's not long within the documentary you get a flavor of what seems like totally out of character from what I'm used to, although it's him and his life. This documentary happened in between season two and season three, so he is already a worldwide phenomenon, and all around the world they know who he is, and again, playing this incredible role. I want you to see just one minute, it's a one minute clip of this documentary, see if it doesn't strike you the same way. It's a little bit out of character uh, for what we're used to if you've seen it. A leak here, and they had to completely cut through the wall. I manage an apartment building; that's still my job, buddy. This is Eric. Uh, Eric takes care of the building when I'm gone. How's it been going? Oh, it's been it's been busy around <laughs> here. Yeah, having something to help offset my rent All this made it possible for me to continue when I thought I couldn't. I know about you. Does that strike anybody's weird? He's using a little you know, high-tech vacuum cleaner. This is the dude that plays the most important person in history, the most important job. He literally is an office manager in an apartment complex to make rent. Now, during the documentary, he made the film Jesus Revolution. I suspect he's probably not living there anymore doing that job, but he was like two seasons in. He's already a worldwide phenomenon. But here's what strikes me. It's out of character from what I'm used to, and yet, that's who he really is. Let me just finish this thing. Yes, yes, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is speaking. <laughs> I will always defer to his voice. Right? It's out of character, but it's really who he is. But you know, when we come to the book of Ecclesiastes and we hear this chapter... If you grew up like I did reading this or if you're brand new to this and you've heard maybe about this story before or if you're just reading it in your Bible and you see language translated the way I refuse to translate it, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, what I just read to you sounds out of character because he doesn't sound like the guy that I hear about all the time or that I grew up thinking about that he's cynical and hates life and he's miserable all the time. That's not the picture you get. Again, I gave you two examples of six times in the Bible that he says the wisdom that he says here. Yes, the teacher will give us very hard, sobering truth at times. Yes, we will see last week, sometimes he won't resolve anything, he'll just sit there in the struggle and the pain, and that's totally appropriate. But he does give us some positive wisdom that I think we can practice here. I want to very importantly say this, what we're going to talk about today and what is revealed in this part of Scripture is not a period. It's not the end. We have to bring the gospel into it and say more. But I think what we get here is meaningful and helpful. Some things we might already know, but if you're like me, I forget about it or I miss it, and and I miss out on things that could be really helpful in my life. So I want to listen to the positive wisdom that he finally gives. Again, you have to wait three chapters for him to kind of really say it positively in an extended way. But here's the wisdom he gives. First off the bat, the first thing he says is, I'm going to invite you, even in this mist-like, hebel is the Hebrew word, world, even in this chasing after wind kind of world, I want to invite you to practice joy. To actually practice what joy looks like and feels like. This is what he says in, in verse 12. There's nothing better for people than to be joyful. And says happy, no, it's deeper. There's nothing better in this mist-like world, he hasn't forgotten that, than for people to be joyful and to do good while they live. To be joyful and to do good. That second part is important. We won't do a ton with that, but we do keep that in mind because we're not just talking about partying here. But he's saying, I want you to practice joy and experience joy and to do good in this world. To do your little bit of adding and working with God's good creation. The word for do good there actually comes from the creation story where God is doing and acting and making good in the world. And so he invites us to participate with God, engaging God's good creation of the way Stephen Jobs puts it, to make our little dent in the universe. Now the teacher will come and say, that dent will go away. It's evil. You can't hold on to it. But do your bit of good while you have the chance to do it. And he says, practice joy, eat and drink practice joy. Uh, This language here, to be joyful, to rejoice, it is found throughout the Bible, especially a lot in the Old Testament. It's a continual command. It's often used in settings of feasts and festivals. It's often used connected with eating a big meal and, yes, drinking wine. Now, now we're not going to get sidetracked on that a lot. Let me just mention a couple things here. First of all, the Bible is not a teetotaling book, just to be honest in the Old Testament and in the New. But especially in the Old Testament, wine was used as a symbol for the abundance and the blessing of God. That is true. Now, that being said, we live in a complicated world. This has killed people and destroyed lives. Like we said a few weeks ago, just because something is permissible does not mean it's the wisest thing to do. But there's a lot we could talk about. I'm not going to talk about drinking alcohol today. I mean, that's not where we're going. We're going to play with the The drink image, but we're going to do it a slightly different way. We'll see this. But that big picture, eat, drink, practice joy in your life. In fact, more often, this command and this language for practicing joy is used not just to talk about feast days and celebration. It's talking about something that sits in the very nature of God. God, by God's own being, is a person, a being of joy. And if you connect to that God, joy will be part of the result. In fact, that's exactly what the New Testament says. The promise in Jesus is that we don't just have a God out there we worship, that that God comes and gives his own self to us in the Spirit of God. And there's a whole section in the book of Galatians that talks about the fruit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit, part of which is joy. Joy. So when God comes close to our lives, one of the things that will be naturally produced in our lives is joy. And what you find throughout the Bible is an invitation to regularly, actually, especially together, practice joy. Now that seems strange. But you know, there's lots of spiritual disciplines. I prefer calling them spiritual practices. Did you know one major spiritual discipline in the Bible is celebration? Richard Foster wrote a classic book on spiritual disciplines. There's a whole chapter on celebration, and rightly so. It is a continual command throughout the Bible. Celebrate. And what he says here particularly is celebrate by practicing joy. There's a, one verse that's really well known at the end, but the verse before it isn't as well, as well known. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, where it brings together the idea of eating and drinking and practicing joy and joy being part of God's very nature. If you remember, this time is Nehemiah's writing. He's a prophet that's speaking to God in a time when they have been destroyed and devastated, taken captive, and they're coming back and rebuilding a devastated homeland. And he gives them a wonderful command. Listen for the command. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And the church said, Amen. It's a command from the prophet of God. Go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. More on this one moment. Pause. That doesn't mean if you've got painful things going on that you just like fake it. No, he's saying you practice together on this day joy. This is what he says. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You practice it. You eat and drink and enjoy the choice foods and sweet drinks. But he says, also understand, as you're celebrating and practicing joy together, know you're coming close to the God whose joy will empower and strengthen you, even like them when they're walking back and seeing ruin all around. This is a practice. By the way... Old Testament, New Testament, and for the last 2,000 years, followers of this biblical God have made it a rhythm in their lives to regularly celebrate. In fact, if you follow or even know anything about what's called the church calendar or liturgical calendar, where people centuries and centuries ago decided to follow the rhythm of Jesus' life, not just the Roman calendar or the American calendar, or Hallmark's calendar, they said, we're going we're to rhythm the year off of the life of Jesus. One of the things you will notice is there are three movements twice that happen. We know the parts of Christmas and Easter, but there are other little things in there, one of which, by the way, is starting on Wednesday. The weeks leading up to Easter, the church is regularly recognized as a time to prepare ourselves. But you party first, so we're on the party text. <laughs> Here's the thing, three movements. Preparation, which, in, which includes grieving, practicing grieving for a broken world in ourselves. Then there is celebration and then there's action. Preparation, celebration, action. Preparation, Advent. Celebration, Christmas. Um, and then action is a, this epiphany season, right? And same thing happens here. We've got this season known as Lent, which is just a Latin word for springtime leading up to Easter. That's a preparation season, Easter, not just a day, a whole season, celebration, and then the Pentecost and after season is time to go and act. Isn't that beautiful? Now, here's the thing. You don't have to follow the Christian calendar, but I do think Old Testament, New Testament, church history tells us to have those rhythms in our lives. We practice, sometimes, celebrating. And this seems like a small thing, but it's significant. So now what I want to do is I want us to think about it because what the teacher does in this text is he makes us linger six times in the book. He says, eat, drink, practice joy. Eat, drink, practice joy. I want, in the next few minutes, to do what the teacher does. I want to make you thirsty and hungry, if you go with me a little bit. I want you to imagine. I'm going to share my things with you, but I want you to think a little bit. Let's start with thinking about drinks. We'll make it church-appropriate drinks, okay? But think first about what is your favorite hot drink. Just think about it. I want you to imagine. I'll talk about mine, but I want you to think about it. What is your favorite hot drink? I could start just super simple. For me, there is nothing like the right cup of coffee, a good cup of coffee at the right time in the morning. There's nothing like that. Especially our daughter, when she comes to visit, she's a coffee snob, and she literally brings her espresso machine and her coffee grinder, and she grinds the beans, and it smells so good. I'm telling you, by the way, I'll confess. I know I'm looking at you, Dale. I'm sure you're tough, and you just drink it black, and I I don't golden brown baby you just put some cream in there i'm telling you i can see from the way it looks in the cup how it's going to taste and it's so good at the right time now listen if i'm indulging what is your indulging hot drink if i'm indulging i try not to do it very much but i'll come into starbucks or some better place and i'll get a grande mocha latte i got some yeses i got some amens now listen If you go to Starbucks and you order a mocha latte, somebody guessed this in first service, they will ask you the stupidest question that anybody could ask you if you ordered a mocha latte. Does somebody know what they'll ask you if you order a mocha latte? Would you like whipped cream with that? Stupid question. You better believe I would. I'm ordering a mocha latte. If I just wanted regular coffee, I would do that. Or if I'm trying to be a little bit slimmer, I'll get a sugar-free vanilla latte. But if I'm going mocha latte, I want a big pile of whipped cream. And yes, would you like the syrup, chocolate syrup? Yes, I would. By the way, I don't know if you do this with your favorite drink. I want you to imagine it. I take the little coffee stirrer and I make a little hole. So I can sip while the stack is there and it just melts into the cup. It's so awesome. Can you taste it? about your favorite food no hold on before that cold drink I didn't think about cold drink we're in Texas we're in the south God's great gift to the world sweet tea baby I, I love you if you're listening in the north we love you but I'm telling you if you have to ask whether I want sweet tea or not you do not understand 108 degrees outside you come in from cutting the grass and the glass is sweating and ice is just tinkling against the side of the glass and you just oh can you taste it I like the Arnold Palmer. If you dump a, little, dump a little lemonade in there, you don't even need any sugar. Yes, you do. And you put it in there. Right? Or, think, we're in Texas. Cold drink. What? HD. Water is good for. Ah, I've got. No, nah, we're indulging today. We're in Texas. Cold drink. Fuzzy cold drink. Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper, amen. Now, listen, somebody got this, and first, sir, didn't know this. I educated them. In Texas, it's not just Dr. Pepper because there's only in Texas and only one place in Texas, there's a, what is it? Dublin, Dr. Pepper. If you do not know what this is, I'm about to enlighten you. In in Dublin, the town of Dublin, they don't just make it with high fructose corn syrup. They make it with the original cane sugar. Can you picture it? With a bottle and the bottle sweating and you can drink it. Can you taste it? I let's talk about food. I told Kent, you're going you're gonna to be featured here. I, there's, a, there's a food that I savor, and I didn't experience it until two years ago when I got a Kent Dale steak at Kent and Nancy's table telling Jerry stories. There's nothing better than this. Now, I'll simulate it some. I, again, I want you to, I'm not, I'm not just playing here. We're having some fun because the text does, but this is important. We'll get there. I want you to think about what it is for you. If I can't have a Kentdale steak, I know there's better. But I'm telling you, I love me some saltgrass steak. Do you know? Before I left, somebody I did a wedding. Somebody gave me a fifty-dollar gift card to saltgrass, and then we moved. It was a great like tragedy in my life. We moved back to Texas. Sixteen years later, that baby still worked. It was awesome. <laughs> when they bring out a saltgrass steak, do you know what's on it? Do you know what's on? It? It's already juicy. What's on top of saltgrass steak? A big lock of butter. By the way, I feel bad, like my doctor did communion today. Do you understand this? So I'm, I'm feeling bad. I'm repenting, Wade, right now. So I love you, man. I need you in my life. But I'm telling you, it comes up. Butter's melting. By the way, if they ask, it's mocha lot. Yes, I want butter on there. Is it melting in there? Do you taste it? Right? What, what else? You know, what works for you? I, I, we had Tracy Munn who was in first service. I'm looking like, if you haven't been to Fratellis, this sermon brought to you. By, no, I'm just kidding. It. Italian place in town that they revive, they they make their pasta in the store. I had a date night with my wife, so good. Right? What, what is the food that you crave? What is it that you absolutely can't live without? Kind of think about it, right? We go on and on and on with this. By the way, I won't talk about desserts. Alright, I gotta talk about one dessert, right? We moved to Texas from Virginia the first time we came down here. And at that time, the world had not experienced certain things that are now everywhere. So you need to understand that. We came down. A month later, we had our second child. David was born. And of course, by the great grace of God, people like you came and brought food and stuff. And we experienced two things we'd never seen before. Now it's everywhere, but at that time was not in Virginia. One was Logan's Rolls, which is saturated in butter. butter. Absolutely. It was beautiful. And the other thing, they brought this cream-colored carton and on the top it had two beautiful words bluebell (laughs) which at that point in time did not exist up there now it does bluebell and at the bottom millennium crunch which takes every possible sweet thing and dump in an already good ice cream this by the way is a terrible thing to do after you're getting sympathy weight gaining sympathy weight for your wife who just got pregnant but it was wonderful what is it that you say now we're laughing we're having fun but listen The Bible commands us to eat and drink and practice joy. There are times when it's a good thing to say, we're going to sit down and savor a good meal together. We're going to taste it together. We're going to enjoy it together. That's a good thing. And I want to encourage us to do that. By the way, there's two quick warnings to it. Right? Warning number one is that we appreciate these things, but we don't abuse them. That's true for food, that's true for drink. And if you're like me, I struggle with the food part of it. We appreciate them. We enjoy them, but we don't do it to excess. There's a time to be extravagant. You feast at Thanksgiving, but we don't go crazy to excess. More important warning, though, is the warning throughout the whole book. Listen to this, it's important, not just for eating and drinking other things. Here's the warning. Don't use temporary finite things to try to satisfy an ultimate eternal longing. Do you hear me? This is huge. Don't use temporary finite things to try to satisfy an ultimate eternal longing. That was last week's message that says only God can do that. But there is something, he doesn't say, you know what, pleasure and all that stuff. He studied that. He studied pleasure, he studied food, and drink, all that. He doesn't say, it's Hebel, it's Mist. So ignore it. He says, enjoy it. And I think we should. By the way, I have to say this before we make the next point. So this is is just a quick step out. And I need your help to pray. I have a dream. Not a big Martin Luther King dream. But I do have a dream. In a book that six times in 12 chapters commands us to eat drink, and practice joy, I personally think the only way to appropriately end this series a couple weeks after Easter is with a full-on church-wide potluck. That's just my personal belief. <laughs> Problem is, I also have people in my life, I was, I'm glad Lori's not here staring at me, but she, we did have this conversation. I have people in my life, Lori's the main one, who uh, work-wise, my wife is the other, who has the spiritual gift of common sense. Okay? So I'm a dreamer. She has a spiritual gift of common sense, and she enlists other people. So when I have an idea, she will run it through the common sense meter. So we had a conversation a couple weeks ago when I said, and we agreed I was going to say this on this day, I dream of a potluck. I am told that in this building, in the last 20 years, we've never had a church-wide after-church, full-on traditional potluck. We've had the brunch before, and we've had little pocket potlucks. It's really hard to do that for people like me. I just think things happen. But we do know, like, casseroles and stuff have to stay warm so I don't know how this is going to happen I asked Lori I said just I trust you to kick the tires try and if you come back to me and say we can't do this we got to cater it or whatever we can do it but I have a dream that we will have a real potluck with like casseroles that I can't name what it is but they're so good and that's what my dream and you all are smart and have the gift of hospitality so don't give her 10,000 but if you have a really good idea that this can help go talk to Lori and help her discernment so end of that part my dream is that we practice joy together. We will practice one joy one way or another. But man, I'm, I'm believing in a potluck. I'm believing in a potluck. Alright. Alright, so pick up the picture. Practice joy, he says, big picture. Then he says, I'm going to talk about one particular area of life. And we'll do more with this later. But one particular area of life to practice joy in. And that is in your work. Do you recognize the gift and joy of work? Of just every day... Common, sometimes repetitive, sometimes really hard work. That's a gift, he says. As he says it a couple times. He says it throughout the book again. He says it a couple times, but again, chapter 22, I saw there's nothing better for a person in this world under the sun. There's more to this story than to enjoy their work because that's their lot or portion is that word. Chapter 5, verse 18. It's appropriate for a person to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. He's got to throw that in. It's still Hebel. Under the sun during the few fleeting days of their life. This is their lot. This is their portion. And God will give them the ability to enjoy them and to be happy, satisfied with their lot or their portion. He's saying, enjoy the work that you have. And I know this is hard sometimes. Some of us, you all are in stages where your work is preparing for what you think the work really is. But here's the thing. Every moment in time is an invitation to say, whatever work you have, are you going to find something in it to say, I'm going to savor that and hold on to it just a little bit. I'm going to enjoy it just a little bit. I know this sounds insane, especially to these two wings right here. But I remember one day when I realized, I know this sounds insane, but follow me. Tests can actually be fun. Not leading up to tests. I hate leading up to tests. All right, I, people are wired differently. I'm a microwave popcorn, so I think and think and think, and then I pop it all. But right before. Other people, y'all, by the grace of God, are, are crockpots, and so you can cook all along. So exam weeks were painful for me because I'm popping a lot of popcorn. But I'm telling you, I remember one day I was walking out, and I killed that exam. And I learned, especially philosophy was my major, major. I did political science too, but I love philosophy. And I would memorize volumes of information, and I found a way to throw it all up on the test. And I killed it. It felt good. I know that's weird. But I learned to enjoy it. Every stage of our life we have work. Sometimes it's school. Sometimes it's teaching. Sometimes it's retirement. You're doing different kind of work. You're doing family work. If you're in the home, you're doing a lot of work, right? Can we find these little moments to enjoy the work? One of my favorite depictions of this is from one of my favorite authors. His name is Robert Frost. Best known for The Road Not Taken. But that's not the poem I want to give you. I'm going to give you the poem called Mowing. He's going out and he's cutting big grass. But don't think of bush hog or a self-propelled lawnmower, think of a scythe. By the way, I always make it Star Wars, and I want to make it Sith, but it's a scythe. Okay, so pick, like, it's like Grim Reaper, Big, that he's cutting it by hand. So get this picture. In there, he's going to give wisdom. It comes straight from the heart of God, I believe, because God inspires all good things, and it could be from Ecclesiastes. Listen to this picture. There was never a sound beside the wood but one, and that was my long scythe whispering to the ground. What was it? It whispered. I knew not well myself, Perhaps it was something about the heat of the sun. Something perhaps about the lack of sound. And that was why it whispered. It did not speak. It was no dream of the gift of idle hours. That's not the point of work. Is thinking about, oh, okay, just when I get off. Or easy gold at the hand of Faye. Like, think Tooth Fairy. Or Elf. Anything more than the truth, the real thing, would have seemed too weak to the earnest love that laid the swale in rows. Then he goes sidetracks into what happens while he's doing it. Not with out feeble pointed spikes of flowers. Pale orchises and a scared bright green snake. You ready for the word of the Lord from a poem? The fact is the sweetest dream that labor knows. My long scythe whispered and left the hay to make. The fact is the sweetest dream that labor makes. Sometimes I'm working and I'm working. I'm working for the weekend. I'm working for the next stage. I'm working whatever. No, the fact. The doing of the act is the sweetest thing because that's what you have in the moment. And a gift of God is to recognize whatever you have in this moment is something to lean into and enjoy even if you're just cutting the grass. Wow, what a gift here. Now, it's strange, I know, to say this because... We've already learned he's tried a lot of work, and that doesn't give you ultimate satisfaction. But there is something that it does offer, and there's a picture here. In fact, here's what I want to do. is do a quick little word study. We've talked about two major words. I told you we don't do a lot of Hebrew and Greek stuff here, but I want to give you a couple of the flavor. We'll focus on the English ones. But we've dealt with two words. I'm going to give you really one more is what I want, but it'll take two to get there. So the first one is Hebel. We've talked about this before, right? This is the word that means mist or mystery, right? Everything that we tend to value life under the sun is mist-like. We can't hold on to it. We can't grasp it. But there's this interesting thing we talked about last week. Olam is this word for what is eternal and enduring. And life would be a little bit easier sometimes for human beings. He calls it a burden. If we could just treat the hebel as it is. The mist as it is. But the problem is God put, there's two things in the book. There's one other which is death, but it's subject to another time. There are two things that are Olam and you got it here in chapter 3. Last week, God took enduring, eternal longings and put it in every human heart. Listen to last week if you missed that. But here's the thing. It's tucked in the story here. In verse 14, there's one other thing that's olam in the story that is enduring. He says, everything that God does actually olams. Everything that God does endures. God and the nature of God does go on. God stands outside of the mist of time. Now, we'll do more with this later, but the struggle of the book is we deal with the mist, and God is beyond it. So if you want real ultimate joy, you're going to have to go beyond this stuff. So that's what we talked about before. Two quick words here, really the second ones I'm leading up to, and this will get real practical and I think fun. Next one is yitron, which is a word that means a lot—not lot, not lot uh, profit or gain. So this starts at the beginning. They're asking about your work. Do you ever sit there and you're, I study this test, i got to study for a test. What am I getting out of this? It's an economic term. What's the profit when you're done and you paid all the bills? It's the doggy bag at the meal. What's left over after you're already full? And he asks throughout the book, what's the profit or gain or surplus from work? His answer is Hebel. No, it's nothing. You don't get a doggy bag. There's no leftovers. There's no profit to your work. So if you're looking for ultimate joy in your work, keep looking. That's what he said. Now, if you're like me, that's where we want to say the word meaningless. No. Throw away work. Don't do anything. No. Here's the magic. Last word that matters in this book. Well, they all matter, but the Hebrew one I want to point out. The Next one, helic. He says it time and time again. The NIV translated it a lot. I like portion because you can picture it. He said, enjoy your work because it is your portion. Now, it's not olam. Your work isn't going to last. It's not going to stay there, but it's a portion. You've got a portion on your plate. Enjoy it. So think about this. We can, we can get this and we can apply it if you understand this. If, if life is just a portion, what are you going to do? You don't have a bunch. you just got a little bit. What do you do if life is just a portion? What are you going to do? If life is a portion, you savor it. Isn't that true? If life is just a portion, then what you do is you savor it while you have it. I know my wife and I did a, one of these crazy diets some years ago, and they told you exactly what to eat. I, I'm not making this up. There was like lunch one day was like five crackers and a couple slices of cheese. I'm not, it's, it's insane. I, I remember, like, looking at this plate, like, that's all I can eat. Listen, can you picture the plate? A few crackers and some cheese. Can you guess how slowly we ate them? We didn't have a lot. It was a portion. So what we do? We savored every bite. The teacher says, the Holy Spirit says, life is a portion. It's not above it. Or think about it this way. I want to take you back to my high school years. In high school, we had this place. I don't know what your favorite um, fast food restaurant was growing up in high school. Mine was a place called, you've probably never heard of it because I've never heard it anywhere else. It's called Roy Rogers. Now, some of you are old enough to know there used to be some cowboy show back in the day. It was before my time. Does he have a horse named Trigger or is that is the Lone Ranger? I don't know. But so there was a, like a cowboy bag. In my, in my world, Roy Rogers was like a KFC on steroids. Awesome chicken, good burgers and stuff. But they have these biscuits that are to die for. They still have one of those stores. When we go back to see my mom and the kids go see their grandmom, they all ask, can we go get some Roy Rogers biscuits? Now, the coolest thing was when I was a kid, on Sunday morning, they had a breakfast buffet. This is a beautiful thing because it has biscuits and all the kind of stuff. Now, here's the buffet. It was awesome. Now, the only problem was the buffet ended at 1130 and our church ended at 11. So me and my friend Chad would jump in in his light blue uh, Toyota Toyota, uh, Volkswagen Bug and we would fly, he had a stick shift, and we'd fly to Roy Rogers and we would get in just in time, they're getting ready to close down the buffet. Now listen, we got one trip to the buffet, one trip. Now I want you to picture it in your mind. Two 16, 17 year old boys, can you picture the plate? You got it? What do you think the plate looked like? It was stacked. It was like an Egyptian tell, man. I had to dig down to get to the bacon. The Holy Spirit of God and the teacher says, life is like that. Is there a fuller story later? Yes, but that's not where we're going today. We're staying in this text. Life is not a buffet. You don't get to keep going back here. You get one stop, one trip. Life is a portion. Savor it. Or another way to say it, and we'll bring this one back later. Go back to that Hebel word. If life is a breath, if life is a breath, what do you think we ought to do? Breathe deeply while you have it. Because you won't have it long. I don't care what you think. You won't have it long. Life's a breath. Breathe deeply while it's there. So I, end, I want to end with this. I want to do a little thought exercise with you, if you will go with me on this. I'm going to do it through my life and my experience, but you can help me, especially as we get to this. I want to take you back to my middle school years. My sister is five years older than I was. We didn't have this incredible youth group like Mighty Leads here um, up in Virginia. It was a small group, but there was a group of people, and I remember watching my sister in high school doing all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And I'm down there in late elementary and middle school. Guess what I wanted when I was in middle school and I watched my sister, what do you think I wanted? Where did I want to be? I wanted to be in high school. Couldn't wait to get in high school. Then I'm over there and I'm living in high school and I'm enjoying that, doing all this kind of stuff and all of a sudden I love, I love my mom, I love authority figures at the same time. It's getting a little cramped, right? And so I'm enjoying life in high school years but then all of a sudden I heard about some other friends already graduated, what do you think I wanted when I was here in high school, what did I want? I want to go to college, and I go to college, and college is fun. Sometimes I had a little, honestly, too much fun. I went to college, had fun, did some stuff, and I'm living in college. And here's the thing. After about three years, four years, some people did five years, after you do that for a while, you realize, I'm working and working and working and working, and I'm paying to work. And so you're in the college years. What do you want? I want to go get a job, and they will pay me to work. And you go, and you're single. By the way, some people stay single for the glory of God. That's okay. I'm going to stay in my store here for a little. You're single, and you enjoy that for a while, and you're working, and you're making money. You're just spending on you, and it's just you, and it's just you, and that's great for a while. Then what do you want? Sometimes. You want to get married, and you get married, and it's awesome because it's just the two of you, and you can go wherever you want, whenever you want. People ask you over, yes, we can go, and it's awesome because it's just the two of you for a while, and you do that for a while. Usually, one before the other will start saying, you know what I'd like? What do you want? You want some children. And you get some kids. And you have these kids. And it's great. By the way, we love you. But not long after, what do you start wanting? Empty nest is great. I've got people that will say, I haven't been there yet. I love you, Luke. Don't go fast. But I, I've had friends of mine that talk about like measuring the room for what they're going to do when they move out. And then they move out and they go and they're flourishing their lives as just the two of you again. And you're making money and you're working. You're making money and you're working. You're making plans and doing all that stuff. And you work and you work and you work and you work and you work. And then what do you do? You retire. And I know you, a lot of you work harder in retirement than you did when you were working. And you retire and you do this. And then you work for a while and you do retirement. And then time will pass and time will pass and time will pass. And there will come a day. You're sitting on the front porch in the rocking chair. Or Jerry, you're sitting up there on Monday drinking coffee with the guys. And you will say something. You finish the sentence with me if you know it. You will say something that almost everybody said in some form or another. You will say, remember the good old days. Now here's what I want to ask you from the depths of God's wisdom. When are the good old days? According to the teacher, when are the good old days? Right now. I know you know that here. I know you know that here. I'm begging you to get this. The good old days are right now. Because it's the only thing you have on the plate. It's your portion. And listen to me. It will be gone in a moment. Loves, I'm walking in the back. See this young couple. I love you guys. It's beautiful little child in her wonderful little red dress. And that dress will be packed away so soon. And I know it's crazy. They're the times of life. And like, there's like diapers hanging on the wall. And you're pulling your hair out. Listen, they will only be that age once. And I know you're like, man, I just want to drive. I just want to do this. I want to do that. You will only be in this spot right now once. Those of you that are married. And sometimes, look, you marry people and you get close to them. and You see everything. And I'm not talking about like deep issues, go to Sean, but I'm talking about like cap off the toothpaste for the 500th time. They will annoy you. They will annoy you. My wife never does, but I annoy her. They will annoy you. Here's the thing. Look across the table at them. And you ask some other people in here, right? Because they're here right now. And they might not be tomorrow. That's your portion right now. And some of you are retired and your joy in life, and maybe your loved one's already gone on, and I know, some people, I know some people in our church that are just waiting for Jesus to come back and come get them right now. But listen, this is your portion right now. If life is a breath, breathe deeply. If it is a portion, savor it and taste it because it's the only one you have. So I invite you, as we go celebrate Super Bowl Sunday and do all of that, ask this question and let the Holy Spirit help you. What is on my plate right now? Person, opportunity, circumstance. What is on my plate right now that I need to celebrate, thank God for, and savor and treasure? Father God, we thank you for this community right now that is our portion of community in life. Let us savor it and then share that with the rest of the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please stand.